You know, folks, this morning I was reading, actually I woke up this morning about 5.30, and I had a verse of scripture come to my mind, and it was from the Old Testament prophet of Haggai. Now, I don't normally wake up on Sunday morning thinking about Haggai. But I was thinking about Haggai this morning, and it was in particular chapter 2, verse 15, where the Lord says to the nation Israel, to God's people, I struck the products, this is a George Cannon paraphrase, I struck your crops and the produce of your hand with mildew and famine, and you would not return to me. That's an amazing verse. See, God, you often wonder sometimes why bad things are happening in your lives. You ever wonder that? I remember when I first became a Christian 30-some years ago, I remember being in church, you would hear messages or people wrestling in church about why does God allow suffering? We never talk about that anymore, okay? Because in a lot of ways, we, we don't even think about that anymore. But one of the reasons why God allows suffering and allows difficulties in our lives is because he's trying to get our attention. He's trying to get our attention. Another verse that came to mind this morning at the same time was Second Chronicles 7.14. Now, you might have heard that verse because we often use it incorrectly. I'm going to tell you right now, it's incorrectly used with reference to America getting back to being great. That verse has nothing to do with America. That verse has to do with the people of God. And it talks about that when the people of God go through a difficulty, if they turn back, if they humble themselves and turn back, then he will come and he will heal their land. Specifically, it's talking about Israel. But for you and I who are the people of God, Christians, believers, truly saved, when we turn back to him, we humble ourselves, confess our sin, turn back, he will bring healing. He'll bring renewal. And that's what we've been talking about. We've been talking about over these last few weeks about renewal. Why have we been talking about that? Well, I firmly believe, the leaders firmly believe, that God has something for our church. We've been in a period of a drought for a while. And frustration has been about that drought. And and God has been moving in our hearts and showing us, you know what, before I take you to another level, before I show you what I want you to do, I need you to be ready to do it. And so for months, the leaders have been praying about that, about being ready. But the conclusion came, we're not just the leaders who need to be ready, the church needs to be ready. You need to be ready. Not just me, not just the leaders of our church, you need to be ready. And that means being filled with his spirit, experiencing the fullness of his spirit. Now, again, we've already talked about that that's not some crazy, wild, crazy something or another, as you see sometimes on TV or whatever. But it's actually so much more, and we've talked about that. It's allowing the spirit to guide you, to to empower you, to lead you in your life. And so we've been kind of going through that. And what we've done as we've gone through this issue is we've been exposing that the big problem with ha- of this happening is ourselves. 
Because if you're like me, you're like, well, Lord, why aren't you doing this? Why hasn't it taken place? We're ready. Are you ready? I'm ready, right? We want it to happen. Why aren't you doing something? Well, God wants us to be aware of some things. And so today we're going to talk about a choice. And I'll tell a little bit more about the choice as we get to the end of the message. Okay? But what I'm going to do, first of all, is to talk about a problem. A problem. I mentioned this verse of Scripture uh, on at Refresh on Thursday night, and I'm going to bring it up again because it's going to highlight what the problem is for you and I. Okay? It's going to highlight the problem. So it's Galatians chapter 3, verse 3. So let's read it together. I mean, you don't need to read out loud. Just read with me silently. Are you so foolish? He's talking to the Galatians, the Apostle Paul. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? What's he talking about here? Well, he's saying to the Galatians, Galatians, listen, have you guys become foolish? Have you become foolish in your thinking because you began in the Spirit? Now, what's he talking about, began in the Spirit? He's talking about when you got saved, you got saved by what? What did you get saved by? Your actions, what family you came from, your good deeds, the amount of money you gave. Did that save you? No. Okay, good, because I was going to say, we've got to get the coffee flowing in here this morning, folks. Maybe we'll turn the heat air conditioner down to 50, okay? All right, because we don't want you falling asleep. You began by faith, but the problem is, is somewhere along the line, and I can see how it happens, somewhere along the lines, what you began by faith, you all of a sudden assumed you had to live by your efforts and deeds. And I'll tell you about that in a moment, how we got there. It God began by faith, but in our foolishness, we've now think that we can be perfected by our flesh, by our deeds. So here's what the problem is. A couple of things I want you to see here. Number one, we've embraced a lie about the Christian life. We've embraced a lie about the Christian life. You say, I haven't embraced a lie, George. I don't know what you're talking about. I'll tell you what I'm talking about. If I were to go to you and I would say to you, can you tell me what the Christian life is? Almost invariably, a good number of you would say, well, it's reading my Bible. That's the Christian life. It's praying. It's sharing my faith. It's giving. It's showing up for a service. Giving up my prized parking pot at Walmart for somebody else. Go ahead, take it. I'm being a good Christian. I mean, that's what we think, isn't it? It's the stuff that we do. The reality is that that's not what the Christian life is. The Christian life is a relationship. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, you would never say, like, for instance, my wife Lori's away. I don't know what to do with myself since Lori's away. But Lori's away. And if I were to describe our marriage, how ridiculous is it if I said, 
my marriage to Lori is her making me meals, her doing my laundry, her making sure that I don't act up, which that's a hard job, isn't it? Okay? I mean, that's ridiculous, isn't it? To reduce marriage down to someone's actions? You know, do you know what I'm saying? It's a relationship. And, and the problem is, is for you and I, we've bought into this lie about Christianity being something more, something different. And I'll explain to you how it happened here in a moment, okay? Let me give you the second point. Let me give you the second point. We try to live as spiritual people by our own efforts. We try to live as spiritual people by our own efforts. Why do we do that? Because we bought into a lie? I don't know. How'd that happen? Well, I'll tell you how. I'll give you an example. 1985. I was 19 years old. I was attending the University of South Carolina, engineering student. Went to a Bible study. Heard about faith in Jesus. Gave my life to Jesus. My friend in school invited me to go to church with him. And immediately a lie is being propagated subtly, but it's a lie that I began to embrace. And if you hear me, you probably began to embrace the same lie as well. Because I went to a church, and it was a little bitty independent Baptist church. The church is still standing. The people there are no longer. It's a different church now. But I went to this little bitty independent Baptist church in West Columbia, South Carolina. And I realized real quick, you got to remember now, I was raised in a non-Christian home. We did not go to church. Nobody in the house owned a suit except maybe my dad. And this is 1985, and his suit was from 1972. So the ties that he wore... now. You younger folks don't realize it, but we were dumb back then. We had these, not just a tie. A tie is dumb anyhow, okay? But back then, they weren't just ties. They were big and wide ties with puke colors, okay? That's ridiculous, isn't it, okay? So I remember going to my daddy, and I knew that I had to dress up to go to church. And I said to my daddy, hey, dad, do you got a jacket? Yeah, I got one in the closet. There's a tie there. Okay, I'm a size 50-something right now, but even back then, I was a size 48, 50. My dad was a size 44. So I'm squeezing into his jacket with one of those big, fat, ugly ties going to church. Why? Because that's what you're supposed to do when you're a what? Christian. And I had to have a Bible, and it had to be a King James Bible. And I said, Dad, do you have a King James Bible here? My dad was a Mason. He had All he had was a Masonic Bible. So you think about this going into an independent Baptist church with a blue Bible with a big Masonic symbol on the outside. Why am I telling you all that silliness? Because I look back on it now and it's just silliness. Because what started there is this. I want you to listen to me. What started out in faith 
trusting in Jesus alone for salvation, ended up being, what do I have to do to walk with the Lord? What do I have to do to be a Christian? Where can't I go? What can't I do? What is allowed? What is not allowed? I remember one time I was in a college, there at the university, but this is craziness. Think about this. We're in a college group. This is the group that I got saved through, and it's the weekend, but we're going to go get a video. Back then, they had video stores everywhere, okay? And I remember we went to go to a video store to get a Disney movie, and as we're walking in, I look across the street, and there's this old deacon from my church walking, and I said, hey, how you doing? I'm, you know, because I'm from church, and he's like, and he walked on. I was in the National Guard at that time, so the next week I had to go away for two weeks of training at Fort Knox, Kentucky. Didn't think anything more about it. Then I got back. The next Wednesday, I went to prayer meeting, and we're in a group of men praying, and that old deacon looked at me and said, Boy, what were you doing at that store? Now, you got to remember, that was three weeks before. And I said to him, Mr. Bogan, uh, what store? Now, I went over there the next day, and I looked in the mirror, and I'm going to tell you right now, there was no place for a young Christian man to go. And I'm still trying to figure out what he's talking about, but he was saying that. Then he said this, and this is the telltale sign of legalism. Now, what you watch on the cable at home, that's one thing. But you don't want to be seen going into a store like that to rent it. Now, isn't that ridiculous? But that's legalism. And this is what I want you to understand. Somebody's lied to us about the Christian life. We've embraced a lie. And we try to live and be spiritual people by our own what's. Efforts. So can I ask you, is it any wonder that you're frustrated with the Christian life? Is it any wonder that you get defeated? Because you've got this standard up here. Some of it is from God. So a lot of it sometimes is from man. And there's this standard of what it is to live as a Christian spiritually. And I'm going to tell you right now, there isn't a person here that can achieve it. You can't achieve it. In fact, the Bible flat out says to you, you can't achieve it. How do I know that? Acts chapter 15, the Great Jerusalem Council. The Jews were wanting the Gentiles to adhere to the law of God. Paul's there with Barnabas arguing that that shouldn't be, that it's only by faith. Peter stands up and says to the Jews, why are we wanting to impose on them a law that we ourselves know that we ourselves can't keep? There's no way. You can't, by your efforts, achieve a level of spirituality. You can't do it. That's the problem. So we're frustrated. So, yes, we want the fullness of the Spirit, but I'm going to be honest with you, probably the last few weeks for some of you have been downright frustrating. Because you want it, But you're trying, and it's not happening. 
Well, this is what we're going to talk about today. Before we talk about that choice, we're going to spend a lot of our time talking about why it's not happening. Why you fail. So let me just stop for a moment. Everybody here is a failure. Now, I'm not going to have you tell your neighbor, because you're probably having a hard time swallowing what I just said. But the fact of the matter is, is I'm a failure, you're a failure. What do you mean? You sin continually, ignorantly, intentionally. You make mistakes, but they're not mistakes. You sin against God, and that affects things. And it affects experiencing the fullness of God in your life. So I'm going to tell you today why it's so impossible to do what God's calling you to do. But I'm going to give you hope. So I want you to notice with me, first of all, let's talk about our tendency. We're going to see it in James chapter 1. We're not at Romans yet, so just bear with me. James chapter 1, it'll be up on the screen. Verse 14 and 15, James talks about the issue of temptation and sin. He said, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So we're going to talk about our tendency. This is true for every single one of us here. This is true for every human being that's ever lived except one, Jesus. Okay? Because Jesus could not have sinned. This is true. What is true? Here's our tendency. Our flesh is susceptible to temptation. Our flesh is susceptible to temptation. I mean, I think you all know this. When you go to the grocery store and you go through the checkout lane, have you noticed that the checkout lane is always packed with healthy foods for you to grab and eat. Have you noticed that? If you want a pack of celery, it's there. Uh, you know, if you want to eat a rice cake, they're there. You, you know what I'm saying? Uh, it's, it's always packed with the right healthy foods. No, it's not. Everything and its, and its uncle is there that's anything of a candy bar, right? And they even make it so cheap that you could order five or six at a time and nobody would know because you ordered it. Why do they do that? Because they know that your body craves fulfillment with desires. And if you notice, it's not just food they're peddling to you there. Why do you think those racks of stupid magazines are there telling you about aliens swooping down and taking somebody away? That's one of them. The other ones are telling you about the lives of everybody else. Because that appeals to our need to know dirt on people, right? Like, do you really care about that? All that stuff is, what is it? It's, it's temptation. But why do, why, why is that an issue there? Well, the fact of the matter is, is your flesh, you, your flesh is susceptible to temptation. Period. And why there's such a great variety of stuff there is is because what tempts you will be different than what tempts me will be different than what tempts the person across the room. Everybody faces temptation, but each one has individual desires and lusts that are raging within them. 
And because of that, our flesh is susceptible. That's what he's saying here. He goes on and he says this, Our fleshy desires empower temptation. Our fleshy desires empower temptation. You know, one of the craziest, stupidest statements I've ever heard that I wish would disappear, but it doesn't, but I just cringe when I hear a Christian say it, and that is, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. You did. Because you wanted to. Go ahead and admit it. When you talk about the sin that you're struggling with, the sin that you're giving into, the temptation that you grab a hold of and, and act upon, it's because, let's go ahead and say it, you want to do it. I want to do that. I can already tell you, celery does not tempt me. I'm not interested in eating healthy. I want to eat junk. So do you. That's the problem, isn't it? And the reason why those things are temptations to us and the reason why they have power is because our flesh gives them power. Our flesh gives them power. Now, why am I telling you this? Well, I've got one more point here. I've got to to stress to you why I've got to bring this up. What does this have to do with the fullness of the Spirit? I'll, I'll explain that to you in a minute, okay? But here's the next point. The outcome of sin is always destruction. Isn't that what James is saying? Look at what James is saying. James is saying, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. The outcome of sin is always destruction. Just the bottom line. And one of the things that it destroys is your relationship with God. Do you understand why it's so hard? You inhabit a body of flesh that desires to do wrong. Your body has been trained in sin from the moment it took a breath when you came out of your mom into this world, you, from that point, trained your body in what is good and what is not good. And each one of you find different things appealing. Like, you know, the other day I was talking to my son, Foster. Foster loves pickles, okay? I hate pickles. But Foster loves pickles. Pickles are tempting to Foster. The other day, it was just he and I. Maddie didn't want to eat dinner with us, and I was cooking him burgers. He's like, is there any pickles in the fridge? I don't know, but I don't keep track of that. You need to look. But the other day, I was this is about a month ago, I think Sonic, we don't have one around our area. I guess maybe that's a good thing. But Sonic was offering a new type of slushy. Did you guys see this? A pickle juice slushy. That would not tempt me in the least bit. But you know what Foster said? Need to try one of those. Whoa. Temptation is different for every person. But what empowers that temptation is your flesh. Foster's flesh allowed him to be tempted by a pickle juice slushy. 
that isn't tempting me at all. But you break out a glass of sweet tea, I'll be tempted by that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Especially if it's hot and muggy. This is the issue. The outcome of sin always is destruction. Because I'm going to be honest with you, what happens if you drink a gallon of iced tea a day, every day? You weigh a lot of weight. And the doctor says you got to do something about that. And if you don't, you're going to die. Here's reality. There's a battle going on within us. Now we get to chapter 7, okay? So this is where we're going to build our way to a choice, okay? We're going to build our way to a choice. So I want you to look with me at Paul's description here. This is Paul's description of himself. Honestly, you could say it's his description of you and I. What he's going to describe here, can I be honest with you, some of you are aware of, as we've been going through this series, that this is the description of you. It's definitely the description of me. Look with me at verse 14. For we know what the law, that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. Remember we talked about being carnal last week. But I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I don't understand. For what I will to do, I do not practice. What I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Okay. I'm going to give you three things to think about here as we move to this reality of a choice. Because, all right, can I, say, can I ask a question? Do you like living in frustration? And when I talk about living in frustration, I'm not talking about frustrated with the whatever, okay? I'm talking about frustration with the way your Christian life is. Do you like living frustrated with the Christian life? No, okay. Do you want something more? Yeah, we do, right? But we're frustrated. Like, how do we get there? How's that possible? Because my body's working against me, right? My body's working against me. 
So let's look at this. This is the battle that's going on within us. Number one, we are confronted by our own actions. We're confronted by our own actions. What do you mean? Well, you can get up in the morning and you can say to yourself, today's going to be different. I am not going to give in to those cravings. I am not going to do this. I'm going to be okay. And by 9 o'clock in the morning, there's tomorrow. Because you've already given in. The reality is, is that we're confronted. When we talk about getting close to Jesus, Jesus says, repent, turn from your sin, return to me and experience the times of refreshing. But you're like, I'm trying to repent. I'm trying to turn. I'm trying to give it up. But it's almost like sometimes you're not even thinking. Have you ever realized that sometimes? You're not even thinking and you find yourself what? Why did I grab that extra cheeseburger? Why did I grab that candy bar? Why did I click on that image? Isn't that how we go? Did you know what I'm saying? We're confronted by our own actions. Paul, here, when you read this, this is us, isn't it? It's just not Paul talking about it. We're confronted with the good that we don't want to do, we do. That which we do want to do, we don't do. Have you ever noticed that? I'm going to be nice today, and you're a bear. We're confronted continually with our own actions. Here's the second point. Despite our best best efforts... We always end up doing the wrong thing. Despite your best efforts. Despite your best, best efforts. You, you, ever, you ever been in a work site and, uh, you'll see a little board that they hang numbers on and it'll say such and such many days since our last safety incident. And you know, there'll be sometimes you'll see a hundred or three hundred, like almost a year of days, and as soon as that safety incident happens, what does that number go down to? Zero. You know what? We've got one of those signs in our lives. It's an imaginary signs. And, and you and I, we, we work on, how many days without doing that which I don't want to do? And I'll, I'll be honest with you, it probably doesn't get into the 300s. For most of us. It probably doesn't even get into, it should be by the hour instead of the day, right? Or let's go minutes. You know, despite our best efforts, we always end up doing wrong. So I I can hear what you're thinking. All right, well, George, thank you. You are so encouraging me today. I came here to learn how to be filled with the Spirit and experience God in my life and to see our church go to the next level. And you're just laying down a foundation that we're never going to get there. We're never going to get there because I'm a mess, you're a mess, we're always doing wrong. Let's go home. Right? That's what it seems. 
until Paul makes one statement that gives us the answer. Look at verse 25. Verse 25, he expresses his frustration. Before I give you the third point here. He expresses his frustration. He says this. Oh, excuse me, verse 24. Frustrations expressed in 24, answers in 25. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this? Notice what he says, body of sin. Because the issue is us. Oh, wretched man who I am, who will deliver me? From this body of sin, notice the answer. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the answer. The answer to you overcoming what you need to overcome, the answer is Jesus. In fact, that's my point here. The answer to our battle is Jesus. All right, now stop. Remember we start out with Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, okay? Remember what we said there. Remember, oh foolish Galatians, oh foolish ones, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being perfected in the flesh? Well, how do I get perfected? How do I work on being who God wants me to be? By the same way you got saved. By faith. That he sent someone, remember we already talked about this second message, he sent the helper to come alongside of you to what? Guide you. So that you could be what he wants you to be. So that you could do what he wants you to do. You can't do it on your own, right? Remember, Paul's already said that. The good that I want to do, I can't do. That which I don't want to do, I do. Who's going to deliver me from this body of sin? Thanks be to God and Christ Jesus. The answer is Jesus. The answer is going to him and saying to him, see, this is what surrender is, okay? We're going to start talking about surrender here starting next week. This is what surrender is. Surrender is going to him and saying, it's just being honest, God. I can't do it. My best efforts are failures. You already knew that, God. But I need you. I need Jesus working in my life through the Holy Spirit, bringing me the victory, bringing me the healing, helping me to be all that he wants me to be so I can do what he's called me to do. The answer is Jesus. See, this is what the choice is. Okay, so let's get to the choice now, okay? You don't need to write anything down because there's nothing to write down. It's just listen, okay? So don't close your book yet. I know it is. We get the last point. We're ready to get out of here. No, we got we got five more minutes. Now listen. Here's the choice. So let me set up the choice for you. How's it going? How's it going trying to be the Christian that you have in your mind that you're supposed to be? Because you were told to do this, and you were told to do that, and I remember we were told to do this, and this preacher said do that, and this, that, another, and this, that, and another. How's that going? 
How's it going dealing with the junk in your life? Everybody's got junk in their life, right? Yeah, we all do. Some it's more evident than others, but we all got junk going on in our lives. How's it going? Are you having victory? I almost guarantee you, you don't. So here's the choice. The choice is, number one, you can continue to keep doing it the way that you're doing it. Which means you're going to continue to be frustrated. You're going to be continue to be powerless. You're going to continue to sit there and struggle, wondering what, what does God want you to do. And you're going to continue finally to a point where you say, I've had enough. And we've known a lot of people who've had enough and they've left. That's one part of the choice. The other part of the choice is to say to him, God, here I am. You called me to a life that only you can live through me. So here I am. Here's all of me. Here's my sin. Forgive me. Lord, help me to overcome this. Because the answer is you. It's not me. It's never been me. It's never been you. It's Jesus, right? So you've got to ask yourself the question, what choice are you going to make? What choice are you going to make? What choice am I going to make? That's my question. Your question is, is what choice are you going to make? Are you going to continue to live in frustration? Or are you going to seek the fullness that comes to you by faith? Faith. Faith. Something to think about. Let me pray for you.